Hello and welcome to New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, a layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions on the Florida Conference team. And I'm Michael Beck. I'm the director of Fresh Expressions UM and Fresh Expressions Florida. And our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Michael Moyna. Uh, he's been at the forefront of missional innovation throughout his career as a minister and a scholar in the Church of England. His expertise is in practical theolo theology and contextual ministry, uh, and that's played a vital part in shaping fr the Fresh Expressions movement. And um, as we know it today, Mike has been involved in, in the creation of that. He's also an associate tutor of Wycliffe Hall, a Church of England training college at Oxford University. And he's the author of nearly 20 books. And Mike doesn't know this fully, but um, every year to go into a new year, I pick a, a mentor, someone living or, or dead. And I uh, try to read every book that they've written in that year. So this year was E. Stanley Jones. That was a lot. That was 40 books. But <laughs> yeah. But Mike Moyna was my uh, mentor. Oh, this was six, seven years ago. And I tried to read. And his books are not small, y'all. They are big, fat, thick books. In fact, we call it the Moyna uh, hazing ritual at the first expression house. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has to read these uh, textbooks on missional ecclesiology. So, and then I got to track Mike down like a stalker in Oxford and go over there across the pond and meet with him. And he's been not just a mentor through his writing, but a mentor uh, physically uh, and relationally ever since. And he's been all across our conference and our denomination. Um, and so it's just a real joy to have you with us today, Mike. Thank you, Michael. It's just great to join you and uh, and also Piper. And I've really enjoyed all, all the stuff that we've done together, and I hope there's going to be lots more. So the first question that we always like to ask our guests is, who is Mike Moyna? <laughs> we don't well, ask Michael, all the guests who you are. We ask them that about themselves. <laughs> so I think Michael's told you quite a lot, but just a, a few other gaps. Um, uh, I'm a Church of England um, uh, minister. Uh, I, I, I led a church in the early 1990s. Um, uh, I've been researching and studying fresh expressions for the last 20 years of my, my life. Um, I live here in Oxford. I'm married. Uh, we've got uh, two children, both of whom are married, and five grandchildren. Yes, and Liz is amazing, by the way. <laughs> she but certainly is. She certainly is. The better half there, for sure. She is, Michael, but don't say that too loudly. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you find yourself part of this whole Fresh Expressions uh, thing? Well, when I was leading um, my church down in 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 in, um, in southwest England, uh, I used to run these little groups, which I used to call just looking groups. Every every term, they were kind of precursors to Alpha before Alpha was on the scene. So there were exploratory groups. People would every term, I'd start one, and uh, folks would join, and we'd have sort of eighteen people or so on the group. Uh, or they'd begin to explore Jesus. 
And then after a term, I'd float them off as little home groups. Uh, so the small ongoing study groups. So we just multiplied these groups over uh, several years. But what I observed was that uh, inside these groups, there were some people who were already quite well connected to the church and they'd start coming on Sunday. But there were other people who weren't really connected with the church at all. And they came regularly to the group, but they'd never come to church on Sunday. Uh, and so towards my end of my time in Taunton, I began to ask myself, well, why are we even trying to get them to come to church? Why don't we just set up a separate congregation for them? And I began to look at pubs and began to think. But in those days, I was still in the Sunday mentality. And mm. I thought to myself, you know, I can't do this. I've got three congregations on Sunday morning anyway. If I have to have a fourth, then I just won't be able to get to one of these congregations. It's not going to work. So it was a bit me-centered. You know, I kept thinking, you know, the minister's got to be there. It's got to be Sunday morning. And that really prevented us doing anything. And I just abandoned the idea. And then it was time for me to leave anyway. So that was one of my ways into this. Um, there was a second way. Uh, I, I, I was involved in a project um, uh, looking at the future of, of, of people's lives in the UK. And a colleague and I, we would do uh, work with companies and government departments, helping them with their long-term planning. And as part of our work in the late 90s, we um, were looking at consumerism. And in those days, a, a big trend in the UK and in Europe, it had already well advanced, become well advanced in the United States, but was this trend toward customization, towards personalization. And one morning I woke, woke up, and I thought to myself, you know, it's amazing. Every organization is trying to personalize its products to the customers it's trying to reach. The only one that isn't is the church. And basically, we're offering these bog standard services every Sunday morning where we want everyone to come, whatever their background. And this can never work, especially in the world that's emerging. And so I wrote a little book about this. Um, uh, called Changing World, Changing Church, uh, which became, uh, for a couple of years, a, a, a real bestseller. It just poured off the shelf. Uh, and then it was completely banished from the shelves by this much better book by Frost and Hirsch uh, called The Shaping of Things to Come. And that completely superseded my book. And for 20 years, I've harbored this great resentment because I'd have been a millionaire if it hadn't been for that book. But I think I've more or less got over it by now. But it was a much better book. It was much better. But these two things came together in my mind, my own experience in the parish, plus um, this realization that we had to have, as it were, bespoke congregations for different cultural groups. Uh, and I drew a little picture in that book. Uh, what would life be like in 2020 if we had bespoke church? And we're closer to it than I would ever have dreamed, although we still have a long, long way to go. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just a follow-up um, question on that, because um, you're the one who taught me, you know, that every church just by its nature is uh, inaccessible in some ways, right? Like anytime you decide to meet in a specific time, specific place, and do worship in a specific way, you know, that's accessible for some, but it comes yeah. inaccessible. So as you were describing, you know, I actually have those three different congregations and was trying to funnel these people back into that kind of thing. But then you realize maybe these things need to be distinct kind of body. So 
tell our listeners um, how do you hold that together in tension or creative tension with like creating those kind of communities that meet people where they are that fit those kind of distinctions and preferences, but keeping the whole thing kind of in relationship and connected. Do you have any? Yeah. I think this is really important. First of all, it is so important that people understand that every congregation by its nature is exclusive because of when, where, how and why it meets. And, um, you know, we worship an inclusive God, so we can't tolerate worshipping God in an exclusive way. And I keep saying to people there is only one solution to the exclusive nature of our congregations, and that is to start new congregations with and among people who find the existing church to be inaccessible and to do that in a way that connects with them. So you meet at a time, in a place, with an agenda and with a style that connects with those particular people. And that inevitably means that you're going to end up with more and more, we pray, diverse and very different congregations. And that's great. Actually, uh, in the New Testament times, you had these little home churches meeting in people's homes, but yeah. the scholars think that in these in in in, in Antioch, for example, you know, uh, the, the 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 synagogues were in all different parts of the city, and the churches, as sort of descendants of the synagogues, if you like, they would have been in many different parts of the city too, and they were all ethnically different and socially different, and so they were you know, like our new congregations, all distinct according to the cultural group that you're seeking to reach. And so what they did and the way they solved that problem, how do you have unity and diversity? That's basically the question. You know, you've got these very diverse congregations. How do you hold them all together? And the thing that they did was to meet regularly. Um, we, we know that because it, it, in Galatians, when Paul talks about the confrontation he had with Peter, he said, I, I confronted Peter in front of them all, which means that these little house churches all met together. We know they did that in, 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 in Corinth. We know they did that in Jerusalem. They met in the temple courts to begin with. So there was a meeting of all these little congregations together at various stages, whether it was weekly or monthly or however often, we don't know, but they all came together. So what we need to do in our local churches, is to do exactly the same. Uh, you know, we'll do it differently, but we'll follow the same principle. And so uh, the picture I would have is that you just imagine a wheel, and at the hub is the parent congregation. And then round the rim are all these new little congregations beginning to emerge. You need to make sure these congregations are connected to each other round the rim, and you need to connect them to the hub. So like the spokes of a wheel. And so these connections uh, might take the form of social events. They might be outreach events. They might be occasional times when you come together for a big celebration, when you're all together to celebrate Christmas or celebrate Easter. They may be in, in the form of carol services or whatever. But from time to time, you bring everyone together. And the thing I want to end with is to say you start at the very beginning. So let me give you an example, all right? Um, when I was in Florida, uh, someone said to me, we've got, in, uh, 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 I think it was a minister, said, uh, you know, we've got this dinner church with people who are out of work. 
And he said, my problem is that my congregation, my main congregation, don't own this. They say, well, what's this to do with us? You know, they're not contributing anything to the church. They're not, they're not making any contribution. So what I want to say is, look, if you start a dinner church, once it's settled down and people are coming regularly, you've got your church notices. You probably send them out by email. Print them. Put them on the tables with where everyone meets to eat together. Make sure that the dinner church is listed as one of your church activities through the week. Now, watch what happens. People, most people will ignore these notices and you just have to throw them away. But when someone's going up to get a cup of coffee or something or, or, or collect some food, maybe the person who they've been talking to, they start looking at that notice sheet. And um, they begin to register that they're part of something bigger. And month after month, they do that. And then someone comes to you as a leader and says, look, I've been noticed, looking at this notice sheet. I see you're forming a choir for the carol service. Can I join? Someone else comes along and says, hey, I notice you're looking for a bookkeeper to help your treasurer. Well, I'll tell you what, I used to do that. I could do it with my eyes closed. Do you want me to help? And so these people start volunteering for the wider church, even before they think of themselves as churchgoers, even before they wear that Christian label. They are starting to connect, and that will help them on their own spiritual journey toward Christ. But it also means that the habit of connection is forming right from day one. So if you are wanting to start a new Christian community, like a dinner church or cafe church or whatever, and you're part of a local church, then give people your notice sheets from a very early stage so as to help them to see that they're part of something whole. Good. I love that. I love um, what you said early on, how you build community for and with um, the people that you're serving. And i that's one of my favorite things about Fresh Expressions is that um, it's about, it's building community and it's not just, we're going to go into this community and do it all, you know, do it all ourselves and lead it all ourselves and tell them how it, how it goes and then leave. It's building community alongside people and pe those people all become members and become a part of forming it because it's their community. Of course, they should be a vital part in shaping how it looks. So I love that so yeah. much. Yeah. At Piper, this is really important, actually, because, it, you know, a lot of church planting has been quite imperialistic. You know, we go into your terrain and we plot down our version of church and then we invite you to come to it. This is old fashioned colonialism. I mean, I come from a former colonial past. I know about this. So, um, you know, no, it's not that. It's with and among people. And the thing I want to say to folks, I mean, here in the UK, I don't know whether it's the same with you, but every, so many churches are saying, you know, thanks to the coronavirus, we've lost our volunteers. And, and often pioneers are saying, you know, we've lost our volunteers. You know, people inside the church are no longer volunteering. I want to say, if you're doing fresh expressions and starting a new Christian community and you can't find volunteers within your congregation, then this is the moment of a lifetime, the opportunity of a lifetime, because you can find volunteers among people outside your church. 
And so you start building a team, one or two of you are Christians, two or three of you may not be churchgoers. You build a team with them, and this is the way that you do church with other people. So I think we should see there's lots of volunteers as a fantastic spirit-given opportunity to stop doing new church for other people and to start doing new church with other people right from day one because they become our volunteers. This means, of course, that forming a team will take longer than traditionally it's taken, but the greater length may lead to greater depth in what you're doing. Mm. That's good. Mm-hmm. Greater length re- leads to greater depth. Got to write that one down for sure. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's the long, it's the long game with fresh expressions. You know, sometimes you get really lucky and it explodes and you've got this amazing thing going. But sometimes it is about taking years to let something grow. And I think it, we have to change our definition of what success looks like. So if it looks like big numbers. Fresh Expressions is not the movement you want to be a part of. But if it's about impacting individual lives, then I think Fresh Expressions is amazing at that. Uh, Absolutely. And if you think of, you know, one of the ways I like to think about what we're doing is we're kind of offering the church as a gift uh, to people. Now, you give your most precious gift to people who are closest to you. So, I mean, you wouldn't give your prized sort of family heirloom to someone who you hardly know. You're given a, a gift that's appropriate to the person, uh, to the relationship that you have with that person. And so um, when we give the, and when we offer the church to people, what we're offering is communal life with Jesus. And that is the heart of the church's life. We're offering the thing that is most precious. Now, you can't do that if you don't know the person very well. You know, you, the, 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 the relationship is too thin to bear the weight of the gift that you're offering. You have to offer a less precious gift at the beginning, build the trust, you exchange gifts all the time. You give a gift, they give a gift back. You're exchanging gifts. And as those gifts become more valuable, then you can go on and begin to offer what is more valuable to you until you get to the point where you can offer the most precious gift of all, which is communal life with Jesus. So this this building of this relationship to, to the point where it's got, you know, it's thick enough to bear the weight of that gift, that might take a long, long time. I mean, you might do it really quickly, and sometimes it happens like that, but it might actually take a long, long time. So that that this time is not being wasted if you're exchanging gifts with one another and building those relationships. It's not wasted time. So don't feel, oh my gosh, I haven't got to the stage where we offer church yet. Oh, this is awful. No, you're offering lots of other gifts. You know, we talk about the missional journey. You talk offered the gift of listening to the people first. You found organized ways of loving them. You're building community with them. All this is gifts being exchanged. And then at the right time, when the relationship can bear the weight, then you offer the gift of communal life with Jesus. And in all this, we're just remembering what Jesus said, you know, about not throwing pearls before swine. That was a rather brutal way of saying, don't give your most precious gift until the relationship can bear the weight of it. So it's not a bad thing to be spending time. 
Yeah, let, let me jump in there, Mike, because um, I know you got a book coming out uh, in process, The Ecclesiology of Gift. I want to circle back to that and hear more about it and how our listeners can connect with it. But um, something you said, I think, so, you know, Piper, uh, an edge uh, pioneer, you know, what we call adventure over here now, uh, lay person, but also leading a whole system, right, a whole denomination. For the for me, the inherited church pastor guy who's got to, you know, do attendance, uh, I got reports right now, you know, just for, before Christmas, we have the the annual church reports, right? And, <laughs> and one, yeah. Uh, one of the uh, struggles that I hear from pastors a lot is the the metrics of success that Piper mentioned. Uh, they're like stuck in the 1950s where it's all about butts and bucks, you know, nickels and noses. And uh, that still is how the institution measures success. So pastors feel like I've got to put my time, my energy, uh, what resources we have into trying to hit those metrics right even though in in most cases you know some of them are pretty irrelevant um and and i mean like baptisms that's always going to be a relevant metric right it means we're connecting with new people professions of faith but a lot of them were really designed for this christendom very attractional only kind of church so do you have thoughts or suggestions or wisdom around um you know what does this look like how do what are some metrics that would actually measure this kind of thing um, that might help us actually see what fruitfulness looks like in the 21st century? Yeah, I think there are two ways of doing this. You know, where I am working in one of the dioceses of the Church of England, we have a very simple matrix to begin with, matrix, uh, and, and that is how many teams have moved how far round the missional journey? So how many teams have moved from uh, uh, focusing mainly on listening to focusing mainly on organized love to focusing mainly on community to focusing on mainly on sharing Jesus to focusing now on this becoming an expression of church, a, a real worshiping community? Uh, and then how many moved to repeating the process? So um, that's a really very simple uh, way of measuring, as it were, fruitfulness in that sense. and. Um, uh, we've used we, we 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 use language like potential fresh expressions for all those who haven't got to the church stage, and then we talk about actual fresh expressions for those who got to the church stage, and that just clarifies because really, if you haven't got to the church stage and you're not sharing Jesus, then what you're doing is absolutely brilliant for the kingdom, but it's no different to all the other many community projects that we've led. And, and have got in our churches. You know, we've had luncheon clubs, we've had, you know, cafes and all sorts of things, bereavement groups for years and years and years. And, and these, um, uh, you know, these new Christian communities that we call them fresh expressions, that unless they're actually sharing Jesus, you know, unless you've got a dinner church that's sharing Jesus, it's no different to all the other luncheon clubs that we've had for centuries. So um, uh, we find it helpful not to, extend the language uncritically, uh, and, but rather to be discriminating and say, look, there are potential fresh expressions here and there's some actual ones. Then secondly, um, in the UK during the lockdown, um, we developed a, a survey called the Fruitfulness Framework Survey. I didn't do this myself, but 
colleagues in the Church of England did. And if you Google Fruitfulness Framework Church of England, you'll get to it. And what that did was, um, uh, um, yeah, what, what, what the surveyors, the company did, uh, research company, was they, they went to, I think it was um, 200 people in roughly 20 fresh expressions of church. Um, most of them were Christians, as it happened, um, but you could do this with others. great majority were Christians. And they said to them, they asked them 25 questions which measure uh, different aspects of spiritual growth. So it measures your relationship with God, with other people, with other Christians, with the world outside, and also with, you, with yourself. So, for example, they asked the question, when you joined your Fresh Expression, were you praying regularly? And 45% said yes. Then they said, now, at the time of our survey, which could be three or four or five years later since you joined the Fresh Expression, now are you praying regularly? And 65% said yes. Now, all the measurements were really positive for, for, for discipleship. And what you can do is you can take this fruitfulness framework. We're just about to go to a second round, and we're calling now for another 100 people who will take part in this. You can go and you can do your, 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 your fresh expression, and you can give this – you could just – play around with the questions, make it appropriate for people who don't go to church. You could give them the questions, and most of them are pretty inoffensive, you know, and say, just fill in those questionnaires. Um, on this now, do three things with them. One, you just think about your replies. Um, um, and what does that make you think? Does it make you long for more? You know, what, what do you think? Secondly, let's talk about them in our in our community, and let's use this as a basis for discussion. You know, the dinner church. Let's talk about that. Our tables. You know, how do we get on? And you could give people the aggregate results for the whole of your dinner church and say, let's just talk about those aggregate results. So that's the second thing you do. And then the third thing you can do is to give that survey to people in your congregation on Sunday, and say, when I arrived as a pastor. Were you praying regularly? Now, five years later, are you praying regularly? And then compare those results in your congregation with the results for the Christians who are involved in leading a fresh expression. Now, hmm. I think you'll find that for the Christians who are leading the fresh expression, the growth in their spiritual fruitfulness, whether it's in relation to God, relation to the world, relation to other Christians, how they think about themselves, I think you'll find that the growth is far more dramatic for those who are leading fresh expressions than for those in the main congregation. Certainly when I saw the results and thought back to my time in the parish in the early 90s, I thought nothing that we did in the parish in terms of prayer meetings, in terms of preaching, in terms of whatever it was that we were trying to do, small groups, nothing would have had the results that we saw in those uh, 200 people, mainly Christians, who answered that survey just at the end of lockdown. So, um, so that's what I'd encourage you to do, and that's a much more sophisticated way of measuring fruitfulness because people might not be declaring themselves, I've become a Christian. They might not yet be saying, we are church, but they might all have grown 
in the way that they think positively about other people, they think positively about themselves, how they relate to others, and so on. So you can have a more nuanced way of measuring your fruitfulness through that kind of survey. As I say, just go to Fruitfulness Framework, Church of England, you'll find the, the, the report, you'll look at the back and see the questions, and then you just adapt the questions for your own particular community. That's good. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So you and Michael, actually, Michael and Michael here, <laughs> you have both wrote a book together called The 21st Century Christian, Following Jesus Where Life Happens. So yeah. can you tell me I've about- I've got a copy here. Got there a copy it is. Here. <laughs> so who was that book written for and how can it be useful for the average Christian who is passionate about reaching those outside their church? Well. Uh, and Fresh Expressions US published it, and they published it really well. It's in pocket size. It's got pretty pictures in it. Uh, it's massively easy to read. The paragraphs are really short. The chapters are short. Uh, Michael Beck made sure that it was, in, you know, had, had had some good American, you know, examples in it. So it's not just you know, British. Um, uh, it's got lots and lots of stories, fantastic stories. So if you are someone who's just vaguely interested in fresh expressions, you could read that book. And I think it would tell you all you need to know in your head to do and develop a fresh expression. It tells you how to start, it develops how you grow them. It got great ideas for how you share Jesus. You know, you get to this stage in this missional journey. You know, we've listened, we've loved people, we're loving them now, we're building community with them. How on earth do we share Jesus? Well, it's got great, very simple ways of doing that. Um, uh, so it basically tells you all you need to know, and you can read it. I don't know, Michael, do you think a couple of hours max, probably? You know, two, two and a half hours, depends how quickly you read. And you probably wouldn't read, want to read the last couple of chapters anyway, because they, they're a bit specialist for the church leaders so you know it really is so that's the first thing i'd say and then the second thing i'd say is if you're a church leader i'll tell you what i would do i'll first of all look at that book see if i like it and then i would start having one-to-one -one conversations with people in the congregation and everyone i talked to i'd give this book to and then better still i would start preaching through the book and as I preach through it, I'd give everyone in the congregation, if you can afford it, a copy of the book so they can be reading it. And uh, if you want to um, uh, preach through this, uh, Mike, Michael Beck, Michael's done some a great sermon outline, six sermon outlines. So you can take the sermon outlines, uh, completely change them and adapt them or, or whatever. But at least you've got a starting point for preparing your six sermons. Preach through the book. And then if I was leading a church, I'd be saying to folks, want you in the congregation, if you want to form small groups and discuss this book for six weeks. And again, Michael's produced some great uh, discussion outlines for people to use so they can use that in the group, uh, small discussion outlines. Uh, we're going to be producing, I think, some more videos to, to use. So um, you've got the material there for discussion. So as a church leader, I'd be preaching about it. I'd be getting folks to, 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 to read the book, to discuss it in small groups. And then I'd be saying, now, at the end of all that, I'm going to be bringing people together who want to explore this further. And I would just start meeting with them uh, as a, a church uh, leader, meeting with them, encouraging them to form a team, 
go and start a fresh expression in a section of their life. And this group, three, four, five, six, I don't know how many teams you'd have, but they support each other. You can exercise pastoral oversight and support with them and for them. You can learn from them as a church. They can learn from you. And so they can begin to make a journey together at their own pace in their own ways um, to, to start these first expressions. Michael did something like that, but that was before this book uh, with the uh, people in his uh, church in, in Florida. They ended up at one stage, they've probably got more now, but they had 15 of these different communities, all doing different things, dog walkers and you know, other walkers. And Michael was sitting down with um, uh, gang leaders and teaching them how to do legit uh, entrepreneurship and so on. So, um, you, you know, you can have a whole multitude of these different communities. So that's what I would do. I just, you know, be ambitious for goodness sake. You know, America, you, you, you Americans, you're supposed to be the sort of center of what ambition. You know, everything's got to be bigger and better. Well, great, harness that. If you're a pastor, be ambitious for your church. Turn it inside out. So instead of looking inward, everyone is looking outward, but they're not doing it on their own. They're doing it in groups. So turn them inside out so that they're in little groups supporting one another as they start these new little uh, Christian communities in a walk of their life and get them really excited about this. And this book can be the sort of vehicle that will help you do that and get people on their way. Yeah, I just actually in the past couple of weeks have had several churches reach out about the, our book. And uh, I think we're going into like a second edition, right? Oh, uh, brilliant. Great. We're second edition, so... Right. Well, they, yeah. well, I, I, I've always had the vision for this book, but, but, but it will be a book that churches use in bulk. You know, I get it for all your church leaders. If you can get it for every member of the congregation, preach through it. That's fantastic. Or for all the small group leaders. But for goodness sake, get it in their hands. We're going to be doing some new videos, so you show them the videos. Um, you know, talk about it, preach about it, get them together to chat. Most important thing, get folks into teams where as a team in two or three, they start a little community in a cafe, a walking group, a dog walking group. Michael's got a group. They walk their dogs together and they, do, they, they talk about one of the stories about Jesus just before they go and do that. You know, do it online. You know, we've got groups. You've got them in the, in the U.S. We've got them in the U.K., where I've got a friend, he brings young people together. They sit together in a community hall. They sit on beanbags. They bring their laptops and their iPads. They all play Minecraft together. And mm -hmm. then they talk together about spiritual themes. So they're talking about their broken relationships and their anger. And he might start talking, my friend will start talking to them about forgiveness. And then he'll say to them, hey, folks, how do you model forgiveness in Minecraft? And he said to me, he said, you know, this is Anglican language. He said, you know, Mike, doing worship and liturgy is so easy in Minecraft. You just ask the young people, how do we model a confession? And they come up with ideas. You know, we're going to blow something up. You know, this is God forgiving our sins and, and, and obliterating the, the, all the mess in our lives, you know? Uh, and so you create around Minecraft this little Christian community. They're playing Minecraft together, but they're also 
enjoying um, them, one another's company, they're eating together and so on, but then they're also translating some of the spiritual truths they're discussing into Minecraft. You can do the same with Lego. I've got know someone in, in, in one of our diocese, and he started Lego Church, and families come, he tells them a Bible story, they then go model that story in Lego. You know, if you meet once a month in an all-age community, then every Tuesday evening, you can do one of two things. You can either bring families together, tell them a Bible story, and get them to make Lego models by Zoom, and then they come and show those Lego models by Zoom. And so this is so easy, it just takes you probably three quarters of an hour. Or you do something even simpler. You say, you know, you've got your monthly all-age meeting, and then you're going to say, every Tuesday evening we have quarter of an hour family Bible story. And people come together, half past six, seven o'clock, or whatever time before the kids go to bed. You tell or read them a Bible story, five minutes. You then invite topics for prayer. You say a prayer. That is 10 minutes, only 10 minutes. I mean, why bother to lead an all-age community once a month when for just 10 minutes every Tuesday, you can be bringing the community together so that you deepen those relationships. All, that, all you've got to do is 10 minutes in a Tuesday evening. And you can start transforming that community from a monthly community, someone forgets to come, so it's actually every other month, into something which is meeting every week. This is gold, and it's so simple. And you just do it by Zoom. Yeah, I love it. Love it. I saw the Lego thing, too. So so here, here's a question for you. You wrote a book 20 years before, uh, kind of envisioning the future, what things would look like 2020, right? And um, eerily, uncannily, kind of that, that looks really similar to that vision. So look forward 20 years from now, you know, 20, 2040, 2050. Um, what is the future of Christianity? What, what do you see for the church? So I, I, I'm thinking back to around the year, I don't know, 1800 in Britain, when the established church, the Church of England, was really pretty poor. It had fallen in hard times. The clergy were of low quality. Um, some of them were very cynical. And kind of a lot of people were really quite despondent about the church. And what they missed were all the new communities that were springing up thanks to the Wesleyan revival. And those new communities then became the sort of seedbed of the evangelical revival, which then had its counterpart in the, in the more Anglo-Catholic end of the church in Britain. And the revival of the church and, and all the, the massive strength of the church in the mid-19th century was completely unexpected, as it were, around 1800. Now, I think we could be in something similar. Uh, in the UK, particularly in Europe, you know, the church is really falling on hard times. And it could be that we are seeing the birth of something new, a new form of church. And it's being born through love. It's mm -hmm. being born through organized love. Christians coming together, or listening to their context, uh, listening to God, finding organized way of loving people around them, 
building community with them and then sharing the gospel in very simple ways and encouraging new forms of church to emerge in the midst of people's everyday lives. Now, this is a new look church. And I believe we could be seeing this beginning to emerge. And so in 20 years time, my picture would be that we have uh, organized forms of love uh, multiplying, that the church is so weak that Christians have to do this with people who are outside the church. So it's really collaborative with them. And um, alongside these organized forms of love are very simple expressions of spirituality. So just imagine, you know, you've got a luncheon club, you've got senior citizens there. They're all meeting for lunch in a sort of cafe style. And then you say to them, hey, folks, if you want to stay behind, we're going to gather around the table here. We're going to light a candle. We're going to play a little bit of Christian music. I'm going to read a passage from scripture or spiritual writing. We'll have then a few minutes of headspace. You can pray to God if you understand God or a higher power or just have positive thoughts for people around you and situations in the world. And then at the end, I'm going to say a short prayer. And you can imagine that, you know, you've got a luncheon club of 20 people and perhaps 10 people gather around that table. And they come back week by week. And after a while, someone says to you, you know, um, can we talk about these readings? I've got views. I don't understand them. I've got questions. And so you begin to extend the time to 25 minutes. What have you got? You've got people coming for the purpose of worship. You've got worship in music. You've got a Bible reading. You've got a sermon in the form of a discussion. You've got prayer. Hey, folks, you've got a little congregation emerging. Now, I think we as a church have something brilliant to offer. We can offer organized love. Absolutely. But other organizations offer that. But we can also offer organized love with spirituality attached. And I believe that's a winning combination, not least because the attached spirituality is spirituality centered on Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's unbeatable. So if we build spirituality around our love, then I think that opens the door for the Holy Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. So I think this is what the future of the church could look like. Lots of organized, bits of organized love, spirituality alongside them, little new congregations emerging. These congregations connecting together and connecting to a small parent congregation and all beginning to grow together so that we see in 20 years' time the seeds starting to emerge of the church's revival. That's the future I think we could see, and that's the future I'm certainly praying for. Amen. It makes me think about um, the, the theology of fresh expressions, because many people think of you as the leading theologian of fresh expressions. And um, so I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that, the theological kind of like basis for why, why fresh expressions, and then also what makes fresh expressions church and what makes church church, the kind of, maybe that's too big of a question, but I'd love to hear you talk about that. Oh, Piper, I mean, 
uh, I mean, the first thing I, I, I should say is, is uh, theology always emerges from a community. It's either an implicit or explicit community. So you shouldn't think of me as a sort of theologian, as if I'm sitting on my own. You know, there's a whole community. And basically, I always say to people, all I've done is just to nick everyone else's great ideas and put them together. So um, um, I think that one of the theological distinctive features of Fresh Expressions is it's about church emerging in people's everyday lives. Now, that actually used to be what the church was. You know, when the church was the, the village church in, in, you know, in, in, in Europe at the center of the community, it was in everyday's life, people's everyday lives. You know, the, the church building um, was a place where the community would gather at and have all sorts of, you know, mystery plays and other events. Uh, it was a place... Um, uh, uh, where 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 the business meetings used to take place in the port, church porch and contracts were signed. Um, the church was right there in the middle of people's um, everyday lives, work lives and family lives, their social lives. You know, holidays consisted of holy days. They were festivals all based around the saints um, that the church celebrated. So the church was right at the center of everyday life. And then, of course, what happened was with the Industrial Revolution, um, life became more complex, work and home separated off, and the church remained centred in the domestic arena of life, in the residential part of life. And increasingly, um, not only did you have work, but then you had all the consumer and the leisure activities uh, spinning out from the mid-19th century onwards, and the church became disconnected from all these new segments of life. And so you had church in one segment of life, leisure, uh, in, uh, uh, home, rather, domesticity, if you like, residential, but you had all these new leisure activities, these new networks, the workplace, and so on, and church wasn't present there. And so what Fresh Expressions are saying is church can be present in all these different arenas of everyday life, whether you're a photography group or a walking group, whether you coach a sports team, uh, whatever it is you do, um, you know, film, you love films, whatever it is, whatever your passion is, church can emerge as part of that passion as you share it with other people. Um, and the theology that supports that is that God, that Jesus is Lord of all. There is no part of the world today where Jesus cannot be present. He can't be Lord of all. If you say this bit of life is so awful, he can't be present there. Remember, when Jesus was on earth, he went to the prostitutes and the lepers and all those who were excluded by the existing society. He was there among them. So there is no... No, no section of today's world that Jesus cannot be present in. You can form church with and among prostitutes. You can form church with and among drug dealers. There is no section of life where church cannot be present. And we know that this is the case, A, because Jesus is Lord of all now, and B, because when he returns, we're told in Ephesians that when Christ returns, he will fill, or could be translated complete, all things, all things will be filled with Jesus. 
in, in Corinthians 15, God will be in all. God will be God in all things. So um, the ch when we take the church into everyday life, all we're doing is anticipating this time when Jesus returns and fills or completes every dimension of life. We're anticipating that. And that, I believe, is part of the distinctive theology that Fresh Expressions offer. And in the language that I would use, you know, we offer the gift of communal life with Jesus in the context of everyday life. There is no section of life where Christ cannot be a gift and where communal life with him cannot be a gift. That is, I think, the distinctive theology of Fresh Expressions of Church. And I can tell you, already it's happening. Younger people say this is common sense. Younger members of our congregation say this is obvious. I say, I talk as if this is new, but for them, this is obvious. So in 20 years' time, this theology is going to be very old theology, I can tell you that. Yeah. Mike, as you say that, I'm just thinking of, um, so we do this thing called Living Room Church VR Monday nights. And uh, <clears throat> one of the things I say when we open is, Jesus is Lord of the metaverse. Um, and, and now I guess we could say in the fediverse too, but um, that even in that digitally built environment where we're gathering together to do life and have a sermonic conversation and a Jesus story and ask those framing questions, that Jesus' presence and life is there with us in that. And uh, this really cool development now, we've got younger people that are much more you know, sharp and astute technologically than, than some of us in the group. And um, they've started creating these worlds. So like we gather in the living room and then we go to uh, Genesis 1 in the beginning. And it's like a universe with a light and we, we get around oh, that. Cool. We can go to uh, the, the split sea uh, in Exodus and, and we can see that. We could talk about the story from there. So for one, I'm thinking that is going to continue to unfold and evolve in ways that probably we don't even see right now. Uh, but this idea of fresh expressions that communal life with Jesus can form in every space and every like dimension of life is certainly, you know, that applies to the digital world too. Absolutely. And I think the future is hybrid, really. There will be some exclusively digital churches, I'm sure, for, for various reasons. But I think it, it is hybrid, you see, because you could be doing that. Um, you, you can do that either when you're all sitting together, you know, and you've had a meal together, and then you break into these different um, uh, metaphor, metaverse um, uh, yeah. uh, worlds, if you like. You can do that. Or you can be doing, you've met together face-to-face uh, uh, -face, uh, in person, but then you can do it online between your in-person meetings. And again, you can, you can enter these different worlds. So I think it's fantastic. And it just, as you say, it brings, has the potential to bring all sorts of new understandings and new ways of expressing our, our, our life together uh, in Jesus. And so, so it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, this is going to be so exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, tell us, um, what, what can we look uh, to um, in the future coming from you? What projects are you working on? And how can people just connect with you in general, connect with what you're doing? So I'm not great on, uh, you know, having it waxed eloquently about online. I have a Facebook page which I never, ever go to. So don't even begin to connect with me through that because I'll never pick up the message. 
Um, uh, although I do get the stream of, 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 of messages, which are basically Michael Beck doing this and Michael Beck doing something else. But anyway, um, I have to clear out all my junk mail all the time. But um, so, um, um, uh, and likewise, don't get to me through LinkedIn. Um, but actually, if you want to connect with me, then go to either Piper or Michael and ask for my email address and then just come to me and, and email me, all right? And, you know, if I can help, I'd be thrilled to do that. But I continue to write. I'm writing this book on, on, on giving the church, which um, aims to bring the idea of, of giving the church into the center of church doctrine and into the center of mission and to give new language to the idea of church planting. So uh, this is what I'm working on now. Uh, we also have a book which which uh, I've just rewritten called Godsund, uh, which we're publishing a revised version, a rather better version in the UK, and we'll publish it in the US. Uh, we, we're, uh, we're developing a, a dedicated website with each chapter. We'll have an animation, a sort of podcast, video cast interview and some video stories. Um, and we're doing that for the UK, but I'm hoping, uh, Michael, we need to talk about the equivalent in the in in the US, um, yeah. you know, so as as an adjunct to the book, because I think people will use the book and it's great. It's like the the twenty um, first uh, century Christian book. It's got pictures and it's really easy to read. But it's very much a how to do book uh, built around the missional journey. So you know, there are chapters for each stage of the missional journey. So, um, uh, but but really the visual content is going to be more important than that. So we need to talk about that. So I'm involved with that. I'm also involved um, uh, working with um, various denominations um, and dioceses uh, in the Church of England and outside uh, on rolling out these learning communities, bringing teams together in, into God-sent hubs. Some people call them that. Um, we call them in Church of England greenhouses, where uh, teams come together and do that planning together and support each other and keep moving forward and get coaching and so on and use the guards and material. So I'm involved with that as well. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Mike. This has been such a wonderful conversation. Every time I get to talk to you, it's like I get this refreshed and renewed and so energetic and excited. This is really great. Well, bless you, Piper. It's great. I love seeing you again. Long time yeah, since we talked. So we'll just have a catch up sometime. And, and yeah. Michael, great seeing you. And both of you have a, we're doing this just for Christmas. So both of you have a, have a great Christmas. Um, thank you. Um, fantastic. All those of you who are watching, thank you for watching and bearing with us. And forgive my English accent. And I just hope you find it helpful anyway. <laughs> no, the English accent is a bonus. We, we love it. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, I'm not sure. Anyway, God bless. Take care, both of you. Thank you. And to those listening, thank you so much for joining along with this episode of New People, New Ways. If you enjoyed our conversation with Mike Moyna, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening through. And if you'd like to learn more about Fresh Expressions, you can check out our website, freshexpressionsfl.org. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we will see you next time on New People, New Ways.